Hey, 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 Diet Riders. Welcome back to the Diet Riot Podcast. I'm Alyssa Miller. I'm Brooke Miller. We're both dietitians. Both moms. Both from the Midwest. Both live in Denver. And both still quarantined. And today (laughs) we have a special guest. Um, So I don't know if you guys have seen her on Instagram. She goes by pre-diabetes diet, no, nutritionist. I always get confused if people say dietitian or nutritionist on their handle, but she's a registered dietitian. Um, We're going to send it on over to her to introduce herself, what she does, how she got here. And yeah, go ahead. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Dion. And uh, as Brooke said, I'm at prediabetes.nutrition. And um, I basically use intuitive eating to help women with prediabetes lower their blood sugar and their A1C out of the prediabetic range. Um, I I ended up here. It was a long winding road. Uh, I myself have prediabetes and I've been managing it uh, more or less through intuitive eating for about five years. And um, as a dietitian, I was working in corporate wellness and I was running a lot of uh, wellness programs that were very weight focused. And so I kind of at some point about last year was like, this isn't aligning with, with my ethics. And I just knew I wanted to go into private practice using intuitive eating in some way. Um, so I went down that road. Uh, I consider myself an intuitive eater pretty much by nature, but I wanted to go through the training with Evelyn Triboli and Elise. And um, while I was doing the training, I was like, you know, this is kind of, I'm learning things about myself here. I thought I was on the spectrum of, you know, intuitive eating, we have on one end eating disorders, on the other end, healthy eating. In the middle, there's disordered eating. And I realized I wasn't actually in the middle. I was taking this training to learn how to help my clients, but I realized I had to do some work too. And with prediabetes, there's so many food rules and and the food police is in the form of doctors and other dietitians. Um, And I had been listening to that, telling myself all these food rules and all these restrictions in the name of health and in the name of, you know, I have to get my blood sugar down. Um, So so I did some more work on myself. I finished up the training and um, went into the intuitive eating space for a while. Um, But then I just, I was hearing from a lot of women that were having gestational diabetes and pre-diabetes and some diabetes and saying, does this work for that? You know? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I need to niche down even further and, um, and go into this using intuitive eating for pre-diabetes. So here I am. (laughs) And that's really amazing. We were just talking about before we hit record was that um, there's not a lot of intuitive eating dietitians that specialize specifically in the diabetes realm. And it's so, so needed because I love the way you put that where the food police come in the form of doctors and dietitians and healthcare professionals. Whereas a lot of times when we're talking about just general disordered eating and learning intuitive eating, we're typically our worst food police, right? Like we're like have all these thoughts about food that we've been told by other people or saw on the internet one time and it just kind of stuck. And of course, there's 
people around us and in our life that are food place. But I thought that was an interesting distinction that maybe people haven't really thought about that when you get diagnosed or when you get told you have prediabetes or you have diabetes or gestational diabetes, it is typically the food police are going to come out in the form of healthcare workers. But it's so, so needed to say, hey, actually, like, make some room here. Intuitive eating can actually work in the midst of one of these diagnoses. So that's interesting, your story um, that you've been managing it yourself five years because you're kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm like a living testimony right here of how it can work for you and what that makes sense. So the first thing I want to ask, and just to clarify for any of our listeners who don't know the differences between prediabetes, diabetes type 1, diabetes type 2, and gestational diabetes, can you kind of break those up quickly for us? Yeah, sure. So prediabetes is is kind of what happens before you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And so it's typically diagnosed, you know, at your doctor. And it's um, it's through your fasting blood sugar being between 100 and 125 and your A1C being between 5.7 and 6.4. Um, and of course, type 2 diabetes is, is the upper end of that, you know, above a 6.4 A1C, um, above like a 125 fasting blood sugar. And um, the ladies with gestational diabetes, those are your ladies that are pregnant and diagnosed. So um, it's definitely something, I think there's a need out there to use intuitive eating to treat chronic diseases. And mm-hmm. diabetes, like we were saying, I mean, you know, intuitive eating, so many women search for that because they're ready to ditch dieting and they're ready to stop living with all these restrictions and food rules. But with pre-diabetes, it's even harder because you have the additional layer of this is for my health. Like most women, they can come to a place where they know maybe dieting isn't healthy for them. But with prediabetes, you always have those thoughts of like, this is bad for my blood sugar. Um, so it is an additional layer to work through. But intuitive eating, the framework of that is great for, for helping ladies with prediabetes as well. Yeah. And I love, I love following you and I love your content so much because you're not telling women like you can never eat a carb again. You're not allowed to eat carbs. You're not taking carbs off off of their plate, you're saying, here's how to balance your meals and snacks. Here's how to balance your blood sugar. Here's how to include carbs in your daily life. And I love that because I, there's so many dietitians out there telling us like, oh, you're not allowed to eat carbs. Or there's doctors out there who don't know a lot about it. And they're like, just don't eat carbs, don't eat fruit. And they're telling us to like cut fruit off our plate and it's madness. And so yeah, if you can take away whole food groups, yes, yes. Entire food groups. So if you can touch a little bit on, um, on just a little bit about carbohydrates and just a general recommendation, um, about blood sugar balance for our listeners who may be, you know, on the verge of prediabetes or have diabetes already. Yeah, for sure. So you're right. A more traditional approach to lowering blood sugar does include, you know, carb counting, limiting carbs, very low carb diets. These days I see mostly like intermittent fasting, which isn't necessarily limiting carbs, but it is a different form of that in a way. Um, keto, um, even Weight Watchers. And so with, with my approach, I use intuitive eating, you know, all foods fit carbs, protein, and fat. And instead of focusing on how to restrict carbs, uh, we focus on what we can add. And it's just like a mindset set shift. Um, instead of focusing on restricting all the time, you're focusing on what can I add? How can I get more protein? How can I get more fat? Because we know that that's what helps balance blood sugar. Um, and and it's came from, you know, my training and, and my own research. But before I was in corporate wellness, I was actually in, I worked in research and I did a lot of research with the military. And what I saw was, and it was weight loss research. So, you know, I I have kind of been on this journey of of seeing, you know, what works and what doesn't work over the years. Mm -hmm. 
and what we what we saw was even with our military, you know, they would try to to drop weight quickly to um, to make weight and stay in the military. And, and sure, it would work at first, but whenever they cut out carbs, they they gain their weight back. They have no energy to perform. And it's the same thing that I see with with the ladies with prediabetes. Whenever they come to me, you know, they're they're saying, I, I just got off keto and I just got off intermittent fasting and actually my blood sugar went up, my A1C went up, this isn't working, it worked for a few months. Um, or they'll say, I just can't live my life like this. I, I want to eat carbs. I, I'm tired of missing out on gelato with my kids or, you know, birthday cupcakes at the office. So it's more sustainable. Um, to include carbs. Totally. (laughs) And it makes life way better. (laughs) Yeah, it does. More enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Go ahead. I was going to say the women that I've worked with that that will say, well, you know, my cousin's friend, uh, she counts every carb that she eats and it's, it's really worked for her what we find is the cousin's friend never exists. I can't find a person who <laughs> has said, um, you know, this is the way that I live my life, very low carb, ketosis, I count everything and I'm totally happy and satisfied and mm-hmm. experiencing zero side effects and my blood sugar's managed. That's just not something I've seen, right? Yeah, totally. I can I can definitely attest to that. I mean, that was like the number thing when I was in my internship and kind of like you too. And I think Brooke and I have been really open and honest about this is it's a journey to get to intuitive eating for um, even dietitians. You know, we weren't necessarily taught intuitive eating in school. I hope that they're teaching it now, but um, it wasn't yeah. part of the curriculum. And so during my internship, you know, I handled a lot of diabetes patients in, in um, inpatient settings and would give them a ton of educational, um, like little educational handouts and telling them how to count carbs and telling them and it, I would always write in my note like non-compliance right like that was always like oh they're non-compliant all the time because no one can stay compliant with that it is it is way too rigid of a life to live and like Brooke said like you're not really going to be enjoying your life so then you have this chronic illness and you're not enjoying your life like oh my gosh that's de- so depressing so let's find a way that we can manage it together and move towards something that's sustainable and long term and really that answer is intuitive eating and I love what you preach on your Instagram what you're talking about here because in all honesty like and correct me if I'm wrong but with prediabetes what you're recommending is really what Brooke and I recommend to anyone in intuitive Mm -hmm. eating like once we get to that gentle nutrition stage it is about building a plate that's going to last in your belly and make you feel full and satisfied in a multitude of ways and make you feel good about what you're eating and that's typical of someone who isn't even prediabetic you're typically going to feel better when you're pairing foods together with the protein the fat the carbohydrates all in one plate, making sure you have a good amount of fiber. Like that's the staying power of food that for most people, now of course you can always make your own choices, but for most people, this is going to be what serves them best. And I see that's kind of what you recommend for prediabetes, right? So maybe you can give like a few snack or meal ideas or what you've seen. Like I just love your quick tips on Instagram. Like, okay, here's the food you think you can't have. Here's how you can actually have it. Can you go through a few Mm -hmm. of those fun ones? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is important to to share, you know, snack and meal ideas with women um, with prediabetes because they have been told even more so than just, you know, non-prediabetic women, uh, you can't eat this. So, yeah, so some of the things that, um, you know, I have a client that, like I said earlier, she wants to eat gelato with her kids. And so for her to go through life missing out on that, that's that's not fair, you know. So I work with her on the mental nutrition part and I suggest things like, this would be nice to pair with a high protein meal um, and a high fat meal. So maybe something like, you know, um, 
a taco salad with guacamole on top and then have your gelato. And so it's finding a way to balance satisfaction in life and, and social circumstances with what you know is best for your health. It can't be one way or the other. I think people get very carried away with all the rules, like it has to be this or it has to be that because to find the balance sometimes is tricky, but but it's possible if you work with someone like a dietitian that has the time to work with you and, and tell you little tips and tricks. Um, chocolate is a big one. Um, so I work with them. If they like dark chocolate, great. That's already pretty blood sugar friendly. It has lots of protein and healthy fats and fiber. But if they're like, I like milk chocolate, I, I help them pair that with some nuts because we're getting more healthy fat um, and protein there. So it's just taking what they already want to eat or, or foods that they were told they had to cut out um, and adding it back in in a way that it's balanced. Um, and we do talk about, you know, do you want to eat this way every day? No, but you have to give yourself permission to eat it and also focus and pay attention to the way that it makes you feel because the way that you feel after eating a meal is going to tell you more than reading the label and looking at the number of carbs. Um, yeah, sure. so, so true. Sure. And just like in intuitive eating, you know, for non pre diabetic, like we recommend, like that unconditional permission to eat foods. And like you're saying, what can you add to the situation? What can you do that honors your body in a new way next time? Like get curious about it. Because I would imagine someone who's pre diabetic or diabetic, and they're told like, I you can't have bagels anymore. Okay, well, now all I want is bagels. And now I'm just counting how many days I can get in a row where I don't eat a bagel. And then you're going to binge. And that's true of non-prediabetic people. And, you know, it's interesting, like you said, it's like, it's actually harder because there is so much more food police from the doctors or dietitians telling you you can't have this. So not only do we have internal diet diet um, culture messages telling us we can't eat a bagel, but now we have an actual doctor with a white coat on telling us we can't have a bagel. Well, now we're told by multiple sources that we can't have a freaking bagel. <laughs> now all we want is a bagel. And so what you're saying is like, hey, actually, you can have the bagel, but let's figure out a way to do it in a way that's going to serve your body, feel good to your body, and help balance those blood sugars long term. And that's, we've talked a little bit on our podcast before about people with chronic illnesses, how there's almost another layer of intuitive eating that you have to like, um, look at and ask yourself questions about of like, okay, this is for my longer term health. I am I am trying to manage my blood sugar versus maybe intuitive eating is a little bit more like, oh, I want to feel good. I want to have energy. I want to be able to keep up with my kids. And all that's true for someone with prediabetes, but they're also like, and I want to manage my blood sugar. I want, you know, that um, to stay in the pre-diabetes range, you know, right? So I think that's that's really interesting. Um, and a little bit before we went on air, we were talking just a, a little bit about the weight management and talking about this. And again, I think this goes with the food police, the doctors and dietitians telling you you need to lose weight or you need to manage your weight are really fo- heavy, heavily focused on weight management. So how do you kind of handle that in your practice with your pre-diabetic patients? So, so a lot of the women that I work with, they, they do want to lose weight and I work with them. However, I do ask them to put that on the back burner and I share with them, you can still achieve your desired result of lowering your blood sugar um, without losing weight. There's many of, you know, going for a walk, for example, every day that can help uh, reduce the risk of, of type two diabetes by 30%. Um, and that has wow. nothing to do with weight loss. <laughs> um, yeah. So many other things that we can do. And you know, it's, it's just like we talk about with intuitive eating. It's like a Chinese finger trap. The more that you try to focus on weight loss to manage your condition, the more that you get stuck in that. And you're like, wait a minute, why, why is my blood sugar going up? Well, I'm stressed out about trying to lose weight. 
Mm-hmm. I'm trying to cut out carbs, so then I'm binging on them, and then my blood sugar is shooting up. Um, and it's just a cycle that we have to we have to break that mindset. Um, so yeah, that that's the way I that love I love that analogy. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's so true, and I love you know with prediabetes or diabetes, it is so important because you have that other marker. You can look at their A one C, you can look at their glucose levels. The hard thing I think for a lot of our clients and members um, is we don't have like um, a solid number to look at because they all just want to look at the scale. Like so many people are like, well, the scale tells me exactly how I'm doing. The awesome thing about what you're doing is you can say, Hey, we're putting the scale in the back burner. You don't need to weigh yourself, but we will be checking your A1C. We will be checking your glucose levels. And that's going to give us a great idea. And if you work with somebody and they don't lose a pound, but their A1C goes way down, Hey, they've made some awesome lifestyle changes and you know, you've helped them. And so I love what you said there. You don't have to lose weight to lower your A1C. And I wish doctors would understand that because doctors prescribe weight loss for, for pre-diabetes. They look at a patient and say, Oh, you have pre-diabetes. You have to lose weight. And I've seen doctors prescribe that for people in a normal range BMI too. So it's like, they're telling everyone, regardless of their weight, Oh, you have pre-diabetes, you have to lose weight. And it's, it's very dangerous to not focus on, you know, the lifestyle habits, the walking, the balancing your blood sugar with protein, carbs, fats, fiber, like it's really dangerous to ignore all of these lifestyle habits and then just focus in on, you know, just lose weight and, and it'll figure itself out. So I love that you're having clients put the weight on the back burner. I love that you're able to kind of track their A1C and glucose with them. Um, I don't know. Do you have any cool like customer wins or like client wins um, that you'd like to share with us just about how, yeah, about how you've helped them, you know, achieve some balancing of blood sugar. And yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I'm a very data driven person. So that is one thing I actually do love about working with women with prediabetes. Some of them take their blood sugar every day. So it's like instant feedback. Uh, Clients after our first session, um, she's concerned about her fasting blood sugar. It's just right. It's like 102, 103. But no matter what she does, she can't get it down. She had been doing keto and her A1C went up and her fasting went up. Her A1C is still healthy, but it was going up. Mm-hmm. And so um, just a few days after our first session, she said, I've been following your tips. I've been adding in more carbs and I've been balancing that with the protein and fat and my, and my fasting blood sugar has went down one point each day. And so I have a session wow. with her next week and we'll see if it's below 100, but it was like 104, 103, 102 and it's, it's, it's like a journey, of course, you know, so I shared with her some days it'll be higher, some days it'll be lower, but you will see it go down. And mm-hmm. for her, that was, that was a really big mind bomb because everything she had been inundated with was carbs are bad. Do not eat carbs. Mm-hmm. And she was going long periods of time without eating. And, and so I was working with her saying, you need to eat carbs consistently. Otherwise you know, mm-hmm. your body will increase your blood sugar for you. And, um, it was a hard mindset block, but you got it. Yes. Good point. She was ready. And she did it and, and now her fasting's going down. That's so awesome. that's just one example. Yeah, I, love that. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. Oh, what a good example. Yeah. That, 
That was that's really interesting that you said that that if you you know if you don't eat the carbs your body will increase your blood sugar mm-hmm. for you like that is we have stores of glucose you guys and if you're if you're not feeding your body regular glucose and again correct me if I'm wrong because this is not my expertise but of course we all learn about it that um, your body actually breaks into those stores of glucose and releases it in the blood because we do need that homeostasis and so because we can't necessarily manage it with prediabetes or diabetes on our own like well, I won't get too sciencey, but basically it can actually spike it. And so it is important to be having those carbs and being consistent. Um, I did want to clarify really quick for our listeners who maybe don't know, A1C is a test, is a blood test that's done that um, takes, like gives you a number basically of what your average blood sugar was over the past three months. Is that right? Okay. I just want to make sure for anyone who doesn't know and they're like, what is this number you guys keep talking about? Like, um, yeah, that's what A1C is. So it's kind of a bigger picture rather than just your fasting blood glucose or your daily glucose numbers. It's looking at like over the past three months what that's really looking like. Um, So that's an important number that it looks like you really pay close attention to, um, at least on your Instagram. It's cool to watch you say like, okay, here's where you were before. Here's where, you know, intuitive eating and balancing your food can actually put you, which is really cool. Um, And I love, I love, love, love that you have, you know, stuck to this principle of intuitive eating of um, putting weight on the back burner, because that can be something that's really scary and really triggering for people. When they are diagnosed, when they're in the middle of a chronic illness, they all of a sudden go right back to diet culture. And they're like, oh, I need to focus on the weight. And of course, that's coming from doctors and dietitians too. But really working on finding that set point weight, or you're saying like their happy weight, um, and really caring more about their blood sugar management and like joyful movement and walking and other health promoting behaviors so that your clients can find their set point weight. Do you, do you feel like that's a fair thing to say that you work on with your clients? Um, and like you said, it's, they come to me and they're, they're desiring to lose weight and they think it's because it's the only way they can manage their prediabetes mainly because their doctor or their dietitian, and I'm not anti-doctor, but unfortunately just what I hear. I mean, I love my doctor, but, um, most of, most of my clients are advised to lose weight in order to, um, drop down their A1C and their blood sugar. And so what we find is, you know, you can't, the two are kind of opposite. You're either eating to lower your blood sugar or you're eating to lose weight. They don't go hand in hand because when you're eating to lose weight, you're eating less, you're cutting back on everything, you're cutting back on fats, you're cutting back on carbs, and we need those things to balance our blood sugar. And so what they find is, you know, they're, they're actually fuller, they're more satisfied. Um, they're, by putting weight loss on the back burner and focusing on eating foods for their blood sugar, it really gives them a different level of satisfaction they hadn't had before. Um, mm-hmm. A big one that I see a lot is a lot of my clients because of Weight Watchers and, and different programs they've been on, they, they're trying to lose weight, they cut back on, on fat. So they'll do like the fat-free salad dressing, the fat-free mayonnaise. And so then after I start working with them and I'm like, add those fats, you know, healthy fats as much as possible, but any fat is good, right? Um, they're like, that was the best sandwich I've mm-hmm. ever had. And I found myself craving sandwiches now instead of, you know, French fries and, and cheeseburgers or whatever. And for them, it's just kind of like, I didn't realize how much I was missing out on by avoiding, you know, fat, for example. Right. So, yeah. It helps a good example. Yeah. Yeah. And do you notice, so even if they're not, um, obviously you're not like checking your A1C daily or anything, but do you feel like um, before they're, they get their A1C checked, they kind of have a general idea of how it's going to go. Like, do you notice that they physically 
feel better emotionally. They're like, I'm not restricted anymore. I actually feel full longer. I'm actually not having cravings. I'm not binging as much. Like, are they noticing those symptoms? Um, and then you, you're like, Oh, and your A1C went down. What do you know? Like, is that something you see often? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, one of my clients the other day, she used to have Oreos, uh, pretty frequently, you know, at the end of the day and she was overeating them and, um, just through working, you know, through the principles of intuitive eating, giving herself permission. Uh, sometimes she would have one at 10 a.m. if she wanted one. Um, she, she told me, you know, a few nights I didn't even have Oreos. Whenever I did have them, I didn't overeat them. I felt really nice. She's not getting her A1C checked for a few more months, but I have no doubt that it's, it's going to be below the pre-diabetic range. Yeah. Um, but she's saying, I have more energy. I'm sleeping better. I mean, it's just like this miraculous thing for her. And and I think a lot of that, she was kind of doing the, the low fat and we need fat to help us sleep. A lot of people don't know that, but fat down the road, it helps you sleep better without getting into it too deeply. Um, and so it regulates a lot of your hunger hormones. And so she was finding that she was sleeping better and having more energy. So it was, it's great. That's amazing. Okay. So half an, half an avocado for me before every bedtime. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm taking away here. Um, gosh, yeah. that's so good. Well, and do do you um, also do you have people um, eat little snacks before bed too to kind of help balance their blood sugar, like a small snack of a fat or a protein with a carb? Does that seem to help for a lot of people? Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, women are struggling with their fasting blood sugar in the morning. And so that's, that's what I asked them. One of the things I asked them to do is eat a snack before yeah. bed. And again, they were saying, well, I wasn't doing that because I was, I was trying not to totally. eat carbs, you know, after dinner, I know this body will release it for you. You need to just go ahead and eat it and combine it with a protein and a fat. And that will help your fasting. That's so sugar. cool. Yeah. And they're excited. Like, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that is kind of cool. It. I mean, there is something about that where you can actually like take your blood and be like, oh, look, this worked, you know, or kind of more an instantaneous payoff with, if you will, because we've talked about too, even just with the scale, mm-hmm. although people like to pretend that's like an in- instantaneous uh, payoff, it's really not. It's, it's so variable. It's all over the board. Um, it can be water weight, it can, whatever it is, you know, the scale really is not an accurate indicator. Um, but that's really cool that they can do that. Um, I wanted to actually something that Brooke said sparked something in me that I wanted to bring up was the stress level. So I would imagine, and you know this better than I do, but stress obviously has a direct impact on our A1C or our blood glucose. Okay. So like everyone knows that just telling you right here, stress can really affect it. And what I would imagine would happen too is when they're in this dieting mentality of let me try keto let me try intermittent fasting let me try this let me try you know cutting carbs let me try doing this let me just eat whatever the heck I want for a few months and see what happens you know like they're just trying all sorts of things every few months versus like having the stability of intuitive eating and knowing that all foods fit and they're not restricted and they're not going to binge like I would imagine that has immense like um uh effects on their stress level which then helps their a1c do you feel like that's something you help manage too is stress Oh yeah. We always address stress, um, for, for two reasons, mainly one, whenever you're stressed out and your hormone cortisol, stress hormone is elevated, it actually increases your blood sugar, just that in and of itself. So, so we want to work on ways to reduce stress just in general and know that that is a factor that affects pretty much everyone, especially in this current global pandemic, right? We're all in oh, different yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> situations. Yes. Um, and also 
you know, as a byproduct of stress, what do we do? We turn to food to cope. So we have to make sure that we're not using food as a coping mechanism because if we're stressed, mm-hmm. we turn to food and then we overeat and then we feel guilty and then we keep eating again, our blood sugar shoots up. So we, yeah. we work through that, you know, we learn how to manage stress and I teach my clients how to uh, have those coping mechanisms so they're not turning to food every time. That's amazing. Yeah. We just released an episode not too long ago about emotional eating and using food as a coping mechanism and knowing that that is one of the tools in our toolbox, but it should not be our only tool in our toolbox. That's where it really becomes unhealthy is that that's the only thing you're turning to in times of stress. And especially if you have prediabetes, you're looking at, like you just said, like you get stuck in that cycle and it can be such an addictive cycle because you only know the next step in that cycle where you're like, I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to turn to what I've always done and it it isn't always super helpful but that's an interesting key component too of the stress management of sometimes people are doing everything right quote unquote and they're like why is my blood sugar still not going down or why this that or the other thing and you're like oh because of stress like that is what you're focusing on that is what you're so worried about and it's been interesting to watch the research catch up to this a little bit of like managing even like food intolerances and how actually being really restrictive about foods because you're worried about feeling intolerant to foods is creating more of a stressful environment yes. so you actually have worse responses versus just leaving the foods in to begin with because you have like a mild gas response or something you know it's like actually we need to put this on a scale and weigh which one's actually worse than the other you know is it it's probably going to be the stress nine times out of ten so that's an interesting component of especially in like the pre-diabetic diabetes world Um, do you only work with pre-diabetes women or do you work with um, full-blown diabetes as well yeah I'll work with with anyone who's who their goal is to lower their blood sugar and their a1c um, so okay. yeah, whether it's gestational diabetes or type two diabetes, I just, um, chose the handle and chose to focus on pre-diabetes because I just didn't see anyone else doing that. And, it, and the only right. people that were, were focused on weight loss. So I wanted it to be, and I do love preventative health. I do like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. If Same. You, you know, reduce your blood sugar at the pre-diabetic level, it's a little bit easier than, than after you have type two diabetes. So for sure. Right. And you were saying, um, you know, we've kind of touched here on there, like you're not anti-doctor, of course, um, but do you help coach your clients through how to find a doctor, how to question their doctor, or how to have those conversations inside the doctor's office of how they want to go about managing their diabetes and what to do if your doctor doesn't agree? Yeah, for sure. That's a big one. Um, and And I post about it a lot because every client comes to me and says the same thing. My doctor told me to either cut out all white foods, cut out all carbs and, or lose 10 pounds or 10% of my body weight. Um, and I've been trying and it's not working and I'm in a really unhealthy place right now with my self-esteem and my relationship with food. And so we do, we go through that and, you know, we, we talk about the language, you know, you don't have to be weighed. You don't have to, you know, um, go see the dietitian that puts you on a weight loss plan. You know, you don't have to do any of that. You can do your own thing and go back Mm -hmm. in three months and show them that you've lowered it by eating all foods and, you know, by trying something that includes white foods. Um, Whenever I was first diagnosed, I was actually in school learning about nutrition to become a dietitian. And and I went to the doctor and said, I think I have diabetes. Like I was recognizing the symptoms and my doctor was like, you don't fit any of of the, you know, the boxes. You're, You're not overweight. Um, you exercise, you eat pretty well. So he wouldn't even test me. And I had to find a different doctor. Wow. I found a different doctor 
And eventually, um, Mm -hmm. even that doctor was like, I'll test you. But they just gave me like a random test that didn't really tell me anything. And eventually it was my OB actually that helped me get diagnosed. But even then I'm given a handout and it's like, do this and do that and stop eating fries and stop eating rice. And I'm like, I don't even like fries and rice. How does this information apply to me? And and Mm -hmm. other women deal with that too. So it's, it's a, you got to work with them and speak their language so that whenever they go to their doctor, they can say, listen, you know, I, I don't eat these things anyway, or I don't want to lose weight, or I don't need to lose weight. How can you help me? You know, what's the next step here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you change doctors, you know, and and I'll say this again, we are not anti-doctor, of course not. But there are certain doctors that are going to be best for you. And and you need to be, unfortunately, your own advocate and find a doctor that listens to you and has a conversation. And two, and, you know, uh, Brooke and I have talked about this too. We're intuitive eating dietitians. So yes, we know, you know, a handful of information about diabetes. We definitely went through all the training, but we don't work in it every day. So Although we're all dietitians, we have different specialties. And that's the same with doctors, you guys. That's why they have different specialties. So if you're going to your general um, general care doctor or your even pediatrician or OB or whatever, they all have different areas that they specialize in. So it's okay to get a second opinion. It's okay to go to a specialist, especially like I love that you said I knew the symptoms and I'm researching it and I'm in it right now. Like, listen to me, you know, um, maybe let's talk about some of those symptoms, actually, if you're concerned or wondering about this, um, what are some of the symptoms for yeah, sure. diabetes? So, so some of the telltale signs are um, you get lightheaded and shaky. Um, if you're hungry or going too long in between meals, um, you get a little nauseous and um, headachy either right before you eat or right after you eat like a high carb meal. Um, you get hangry a lot. <laughs> Most importantly, that I still mm-hmm. deal with that. Um, you can find yourself just kind of getting obsessed about food. You can't stop thinking about it. You're, you're shaking. You're just like, I, I need to get food. And, it, and it's your body's way of telling you, you need to eat because most, most women with pre-diabetes mm-hmm. struggle with low blood sugar. Um, mm-hmm. Your blood sugar is not high. Okay. So it's kind of like a roller coaster. So the lightheaded, the shaky, the hangry, those are some of the most com- common symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking about that. It's so important. Um, do you think that doctors will start maybe changing as like more studies come out? Do you know if there's a lot of studies being done right now with diabetes and intuitive eating? I, I have no idea. I'm just curious if there, yeah. if there's a lot of studies that they're starting to do now, hopefully. Yeah. There's been a few that have been published. Um, okay. one of them I, I really thought was nice. Um, it basically taught people with, it was diabetes, um, type two diabetes, how to recognize, um, their blood sugar, whether it was high or low. And then how, whenever they ate their meals, um, how their blood sugar responded. For example, they focused on how they physically and emotionally felt after they ate like a high carb meal versus like a more balanced meal with proteins and fats. And um, then they took their blood sugar after every meal. And the more that these uh, participants learned how to tune into their body, uh, the better they got at regulating their blood sugar versus the control group who didn't focus on the way that they physically felt after they ate each meal. Um, so it was just really neat to see how that kind of intuitive eating, honing in on your own body's cues uh, for blood sugar helped uh, this group of people reduce their blood sugar and reduce their A1C versus the group that didn't. 
Wow. I love that. That's so, That's well, and Alyssa That's so and I, cool. we just did, um, we just did a mini course last night for our members all about hunger scale, but, um, it's really interesting because in, when we were talking about hunger and fullness, you know, in the book intuitive eating, they have the like, kind of like a food mood journal, you know, where are you at before your meal and after it's the same concept. So oh, checking yeah. in with your body before your meal and then checking in with your body after your meal and during your meal and seeing how do I feel? And so, all of us at home who don't have prediabetes or diabetes, we're not testing our blood sugar, but just because you're not testing your blood sugar doesn't mean that you can't tell the symptoms of high and low blood sugar. And so that is really important. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, we're, I'm not at home testing my blood sugar, but I can definitely tell you if I'm my blood sugar is too low or if my blood sugar is too high. Like I know the signs and symptoms, but if you're not looking out for them, then you, you don't know. And so that's a great distinction. Yeah. I'll have to look yeah. up that article. <laughs> yeah. It's on the uh, intuitive eating.org. Um, you know, okay. all the research, I think that's where I found it, but, but yeah, I think that that is a really important distinction because so much of prediabetes is undiagnosed. So maybe someone listening to this is like, mm -hmm. Oh, maybe I feel that way. I need to go get my blood sugar checked at my doctor. Um, so right. to recognize the symptoms. Yeah. And, you know, we're not here to fear monger anyone who's listening, you know, it's okay, but it, there's nothing to be afraid of. If you do get diagnosed with prediabetes, even there's nothing to be afraid of, you know, there's, it's obviously something that's manageable and something that you can do, you know, through lifestyle, um, you know, reaching for those health promoting behaviors and eating according to your body and using intuitive eating. So I think that's really encouraging. Um, can we talk a little bit about maybe once you are diagnosed with prediabetes or diabetes, what does that mean for for like getting pregnant or long-term health, like any of those sorts of things that you see, um, especially like we've heard a lot about gestational diabetes specifically. They don't have diabetes, they don't have prediabetes, but then they get gestational diabetes. What are those correlations out there right now? You know, a lot of women that have gestational diabetes, I I've seen it both ways actually, just in my personal experience. I've seen women that are like, yeah, I had gestational diabetes during both of my pregnancies. But I've also worked with women that are like, I've never had any issues. I've been pregnant, you know, two, three times. Um, so, so there is a correlation, but it doesn't mean that just because you had gestational diabetes, you're going to get prediabetes after that. Um, and what it really means for most people, again, a lot of times you do see kind of the same things occurring together. A lot of women that have prediabetes also have maybe PCOS because there's some insulin sensitivity issues and, and maybe that will cause some issues for them getting pregnant, but, but really kind of on mm -hmm. a one-on-one -on -one basis, depending on, you know, their individual circumstances. Um, and what it looks like is, you know, if you're diagnosed with prediabetes, like you said, it's not the end of the world at all. It's just a little friendly warning. Um, hey, you need to change a couple things, you know, uh, so you can be feeling yeah. your best and get your blood sugar down. And um, I think a lot of people, they hear the term reverse prediabetes. And I don't like to use that because it kind of creates the idea that after your blood sugar and your A1C is, is down below the prediabetic range, you just go on living your life like the way that you did maybe before you, you made your changes. But unfortunately, that's not the way that it goes. The changes that you make, you kind of, you have to maintain them forever or else you will go back into that range. So it is important to find mm -hmm. uh, a way of eating and a way of moving your body that's sustainable because you're in it for the long yeah. haul. Um, right. Yeah, this is your body, right? Like this is your one body you get. 
Um, so if you're in the pre-diabetes range and you don't control it, you don't manage it, um, what happens then typically? You progress on to type 2 diabetes um, and typically, you know, there's some medications that go along with that. Um, again, you can, re- you can, I don't want to say reverse, but you can lower your blood sugar and A1C even if you have type 2 diabetes. It's just a little harder. You have right. to work a little bit harder because your hormones and everything are a little bit more out of whack. But Sure. Sure. Okay. That's, that's good to know. So, um, I guess too, I wanted to kind of explain like what, what is diabetes? And we probably should have started this at the beginning, but this is the management of insulin, right? Can we talk maybe a little bit about the science behind it? Just touch on it. We don't need to yeah. go too deep, but yeah, so, people sure. so essentially with type two diabetes and with prediabetes, it's just essentially whenever our body, our pancreas either doesn't produce enough insulin, which is the hormone that removes blood sugar, from our bloodstream into our organs for use, um, or it's producing enough insulin, but we're not able to properly use that insulin to to remove the blood sugar and get into the cell. That's like insulin sensitivity type issues. And so with type two diabetes, it's just, you have even less insulin and your insulin sensitivity is even you know greater because you're, you're just having a hard time getting that blood sugar into your cells versus with prediabetes, you know, it's, it's just not as dramatic as a difference. That's why it is harder to kind of reverse, right. to lower your A1C once you get diabetes because sure. you just don't make as much insulin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Okay, that was good. I You know, we probably should have covered that at the beginning. I think most people do know, but that is why your blood sugar levels are high is because, like she's saying, you're inefficient at moving it out of your blood into your cells. So when you take a blood sample, your blood sugar levels are going to be higher. So that's what you're going to see. So um, next steps for someone who's listening and they're just not sure um, what this looks like for them. Do they talk to their doctor? Do they get? Do they ask for a blood test? Do they ask for an A1C? Or do they just kind of tune into their body and say, oh, I'm feeling pretty good. I don't need to worry about it. What do you recommend there? I would recommend, you know, if you're thinking I have every single thing that, that Dion said, maybe go to your doctor and ask for a fasting blood sugar draw and an A1C test. Uh, most people get these tests every year at their um, annual physical. And I will say just just pay attention to those numbers because I do hear a lot of women say, I was actually in the pre-diabetic range at my last uh, checkup, but my doctor didn't say anything. And I went back this year and now I'm type two diabetes and I wish I would have known. And again, like not to scare anyone, but but some doctors, they see so many people with type two diabetes. They're really not concerned whenever it's at the pre-diabetic range. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of the women that I work with would definitely prefer to to start working on it while they're in the pre-diabetic range if they know about it. Right. So that would be my advice. Just pay attention at your annual physical. Yeah, that's really great. I know I just got my blood sugar done last week at my physical, but yeah, I've heard that from several people who, um, I've heard the same thing with cholesterol too, where their cholesterol was actually really elevated, like their LDL and everything was elevated. And I've heard that with blood glucose too. And they just, it's like, yeah, the doctors aren't concerned yet because it's not to the point of medications, but then they don't tell the patients. I've heard that from so many people and I'm like, okay, we need to communicate this with patients so that they can change their lifestyle a little bit and try to make these changes now before we're medicating them. I know, you know, we get, I know some people get kickbacks for certain medications and that's kind of the pharmaceutical world we live in, unfortunately, but 
Yeah, exactly. It's like most women would prefer to treat it now early on when it's easier than, oh my gosh, now I like, now I have this really dramatic, like disorder that I have to like work through. And if they just knew at the pre-diabetic level, they could have easily, you know, changed, changed their habits and reversed, like you said, reverse, we'll use that term lightly, but they could have managed it, you know, (laughs) much, much sooner and much faster. So, yep. Well, hopefully, hopefully doctors will learn. (laughs) Yeah. And dietitians too. You know, I think what we said at the beginning is there's some dietitians out there still um, spewing some harmful um, recommendations and whatnot and not actually supported by the research. And, you know, it's not, I I have a hard time blaming them because I was there too, you know, our education system and um, the amount of research that you know, I, 75 hours every five years is a good amount. And I think that's a good start, but I do think we need more education yearly, um, for things like this, especially. So, you know, not everyone's off the hook. It's not just doctors. It's our whole health healthcare system. It doesn't really, um, continue that education. It doesn't incentivize to continue to be educated on what's changing. So, um, anyways, that's another topic for another day, but Dion, thank you so much. This was so informational and so like, um, uh, disarming, you know, like not scary at all. Like I think people hear the word diabetes, and they might get a little freaked out. I know I do even. And so it was a really like gentle conversation about what is going on inside our bodies and how we can manage it in a healthful way using intuitive eating. So thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you so much for coming on and educating us all. And I would love for you to tell our listeners where they can find you and how they can work yeah. with you. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me use this uh, platform to talk about another great way to use intuitive eating um, to treat chronic diseases. Um, So anyone who's interested can find me um, on Instagram at prediabetes.nutrition. And right now I'm actually um, doing like a group coaching program. So if someone wants to work with me, they can uh, find me on Instagram, apply to my coaching program, and I'd be happy to help them lower their A1C and their blood sugar. That's amazing. That's such a great, great thing for group coaching because, you know, it is kind of fun and good for us to have support and other women that are going through the same thing. That's so powerful. So thank you, Dion. It was so nice to chat with you and meet you over Zoom at least um, versus just going back and forth on Instagram. But thank you again for all the work you do and for coming on. 